Open your Bibles with me to John chapter 14. John chapter 14. We are laying some groundwork for where we're headed as a church. Here in the not too distant future, we're going to do a, a grand opening service. We're going to mail to every home in Sydney. And the idea is simply to introduce people to Grace Baptist Church and to get them here. But when they come, what are we going to do with them? What, what is it that we're trying to accomplish here at Grace Baptist? So in laying this groundwork, the first thing that we've talked about is that we're going to preach Christ from this platform. Jesus Christ is the foundation of everything that we do. We're not trying to push a political agenda. We're not trying to push um, a, a social agenda. We're not trying to push any kind of a denominational agenda. We are here to preach Christ and Him crucified. We're here to, to continue the work that He gave us to do. But that foundation is the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. In order to do this, we have to be a welcoming church. When people come into Grace Baptist, they have to know that we really are glad they're here and that we've prepared for them to come. Up until recently, if every member, think about this, if every member of Grace Baptist came at the same time, we couldn't have fit them. Just our own members, let alone the people that we're trying to reach. Now God has allowed us to expand. And so when people come in, we want them to know that we are really glad they're here and that we have prepared for them to come. And so we're going to preach Christ. We're going to become a welcoming church. And then we need to heed the call of God on our lives. God does call people to preach the gospel, to be a vocational pastor like I am. But God calls the rest of us to do something for him. All of us are called to serve him. And even if we have heeded that call in the past and we've walked away from it, that call has not gone away. Even if, we've, even if we've messed up, even if we've had sin in our lives, if we confess that sin, God still has a place for us in his work. None of us are beyond hope. Isn't that, isn't that a blessing? God has a place for all of us. Praise God. Then, we will ground our preaching in biblical theology. We looked at that last week, and we're going to continue some of that today. We will ground our preaching in biblical theology. And remember, theology is simply the study of God. And so, biblical theology is getting our understanding of God and the ministry from the place that he tells us to get it, which is the word of God. That's what we're going to be doing. Then, here's today. Why do I live? Why do I live? What is the reason for my existence? Look at John chapter 14. And look at verse 19. So Jesus is introducing the, the fact that he's going to be sending the Holy Spirit. In verse 18, he says, I will not leave you comfortless. I will come to you. Verse 19, yet a little while, and the world seeth me no more, but ye see me. Look at what it says. Because I live, ye shall live also. Because I live, ye shall live also. Let's pray. Lord, help us to understand our purpose for living and, and what you have for us to do in this life. Lord, I pray that we are all confronted by your word today, but in it, we don't find shame, we find hope. Lord, thank you for all that you are doing for us. And Father, I pray that your word is exalted today. In Jesus' name, amen. Why do I live? So we have, in the past, we have looked at life's ultimate questions. I'm going to review that a little bit just at the beginning of the message. Ravi Zacharias has boiled this down for us, and he talks about life's ultimate questions and that any worldview must address life's four ultimate questions. And what are those four ultimate questions? The first is the question of origin. Where do the, human, the, the, the universe, where do the universe and human beings come from? Where do we come from? Is it, are we just a mistake? Are we an accident? What's the, the painter? Uh, what's Bob Ross? There are no mistakes. They're just happy accidents. Is that... Is that what he says? We are not unhappy accidents or happy accidents. Um, when our son Riley was born, he had an extra 13th chromosome. So every cell of his body was uh, sick. And so we had to meet with a genetic counselor at the hospital. And the first thing this counselor said to us was, Riley was a mistake. No one is a mistake. 
No one is an accident. God created all of us for a reason. We have a creator. And we have a worldview that gives us our origin. How did we come to be? See, when we understand how we came into existence, then we can understand life's other answers to life's other questions. So any worldview has to answer the question of origin. Where do the universe and human beings come from? And then when we understand origin, then we understand meaning. What is the meaning or purpose of life? Why am I here? Why am I here? And these are existential questions. These are questions that exist outside of the particular individual. There's a great word. How many of you have heard the word solipsistic? How many of you know that people are eaten up with solipsism? Doesn't it sound like a little bug? You know, the, uh, the solip was crawling across the... Solipsistic. That, that, that's the teaching that the only thing that exists is a self. So I am the center of the universe. And whatever is true for me, that's what's true. And however anything affects me, that's the most important thing in the world. This idea of the self being the most important thing in the world, that's why the world is such a mess. It's very interesting. But when I understand that there is a creator who created me for a purpose, and that purpose exists outside of myself, that I am an important component of that purpose because God created me so that that purpose could be fulfilled, now I understand that I do have a reason to live in this world. So these ultimate questions, origin, meaning, and then morality. How do we know what is right and what is wrong? Well, we understand that there is the reality of the absolute fallenness of this world. I often say one of the reasons I know that the Bible is true because the Bible is the best describer of the human condition. The best describer. People are sinful and they make sinful decisions. The reasons that we need laws or the reason that we need laws is because men need to be restrained in their passions. That's the purpose for laws and our founders understood the fallenness of human nature and so they instituted laws. But even in, in instituting laws, because they understood the fallenness of, na- of, of human nature, they understood that even our leaders are fallen and so that ultimate power corrupts ultimately. They understood that you had to limit the power of government because just because a person is elevated to the level of a political leader, they're still a sinner. They still have a fallen nature. And so we have this balance of powers in our government so that one power, one branch of government can't run amok and be out of control. They understood the human condition and that morality must come from outside of me, that there has to be a a standard morality. So if I understand how I came into being, and that's the question of origin, and then why I'm here, that's the question of meaning, then I understand that my creator established moral laws that I must live by for my good and the benefit of my family and neighbors, community. Then destiny. What happens to us after we die? So these are life's four ultimate questions, and any worldview that fails to answer those questions is an insufficient worldview. And we understand that science cannot answer those questions. Isn't that right? Is science true? Well, it can be. See, science should be a descriptor of what is or an investigation into what is. The problem comes when they bring a moral uh, uh, humanistic understanding to it, to where they say that what can be seen is all that there is. And we know that obviously that that's not true because science cannot tell us what happens after we die and the Bible does. For these answers to be powerful enough for us to believe, there's some things that they must be. And again, this is from Ravi Zacharias. He said, they must be logically consistent. Its teachings cannot be self-contradictory. Remember self-contradictory statements. Uh, my mother had no children that lived. That's a self-defeating, that's a self-contradictory statement. Um, one of the things, and, and I'm not, this isn't going to be a political message, but this is a perfect place to describe this, this modern socialist movement. This modern socialist movement. Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez is in her congressional office she is going to make sure that everyone has a living wage so that the interns are going to start at 52000 a year. 
But what she doesn't understand is that money's got to come from someplace. And so what's going to happen is her chief staff, they're going to have to be paid about half of what the rest of the staff in the government makes. So what are the chances of getting the best people if you're going to pay them half of what they could earn by working for somebody else? The other thing that she's trying to teach us how to use money, but what she doesn't understand is she didn't earn that money. That money is given to her, and then she can divide it up as she will. How many of you wish you had a congressional budget office uh, uh, stipend for your house? How many of you would like to have whatever it is, half a million dollars a year, whatever it is that they get to run their offices, and just poof, there it is. All I can think of right there is, well, there it is. <laughs> I, just, I don't know why that popped into my head. <laughs> but it is, it is so funny how crazy people are. They, that's, a, that's a worldview that's not based in reality. The, the, the only value that anything has is the value that it has to somebody else. So if I hire Doug, we have a voluntary relationship. He's willing to work for me to do the job for the amount of money that I'm willing to pay him. But I'm only willing to pay him that money is that if that work helps me to earn more money. That's the way that economy works. I'm not going to give him money just because I'm a nice guy. That's, that's not the way that the world works. What happens is socialism, it's self-contradictory. So this worldview that everyone has worth and so we need to give everyone a living wage... We understand that that doesn't work. If you like that world, go to an Indian reservation and see the kind of happiness and joy that is on an Indian reservation. That's a horrible place to live, and I feel terrible for the people who have to live in that environment. Amen? They're people just like us. It's a different sermon. All right, so then. Logically consistent. Its teachings cannot be self-contradictory, and all of the world systems are self-contradictory. Then it has to be empirically adequate. What does that mean? Its teachings must match what we see in reality. Its teachings must match what we see in reality. And again, that, that picture of humanity being depraved, as is described in the Bible, that is empirically adequate. That we see that all around us. And when government breaks down, when society breaks down, people don't all of a sudden get better. Now, if you, some of you young people, you're probably too young to remember Hurricane Katrina. In three days, all of civil society in the New Orleans area was gone. And we had a doctor that was in the church at that time, and he was sent by FEMA to be one of the doctors there and they had a compound, and they had to be completely surrounded with military guards to keep from being killed because society broke down. Listen, in three days, three days. So what we have is we have to have a teaching. Our answers have to be empirically adequate. Its teachings must match what we see in reality. And then it has to be existentially relevant. What does that mean? Its teachings must speak directly to how we actually live our lives. So if I give you an answer with a bunch of big words like solipsistic, that doesn't help you. The answer has to be something that, that is adequate, that meets the reality of our daily lives. Where do we find an answer like that? How am I going to live? How do I know how to live? As a Christian, we find these answers in Christ. He is the answer. Look, at, I've got a couple of verses here. We'll look up some others in a minute. Here's John 14:19 that we just looked at. Yet a little while, and the world seeth me no more, but ye see me. Because I live, ye shall live also. What is that promise? That is the promise that we can live for Christ in this world, and yet, and yet, there is life for us in the world to come. There is a resurrection from the dead. So we have our origin, that Jesus Christ is our creator. We have our purpose, our meaning. He created us for his glory. And we have our morality. He's told us how we should live in this world. And he's told us our destiny. He said, I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself that where I am there, ye may be also. Jesus Christ is the answer to all of these. But what about our own personal fulfillment? Well, in the book of Colossians, it says, for in him dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily, and ye are complete in him. In him is everything I need. Let's say that you never have the opportunity to be married. 
you can be complete in Jesus Christ. If you're an orphan, you can be complete in Jesus Christ. If your family disowns you for the Lord, you can be complete in Jesus Christ. Now, I'm so thankful that God gave me a godly wife, and she does complete me as the Bible talks about. And I'm very, very thankful for that. But if I did not have her, I could still be complete in Jesus Christ. And if she didn't have me, she could be more complete in Jesus Christ because I'm sure I get in the way of that. So it's really important that we understand that Jesus Christ really is the answer for why do I live? I live for Christ. Look with me at the book of Philippians Why do I live? See, Grace Baptist isn't just a club. We're a church. And look at what the the Bible says here in Philippians chapter 1. Look at verse 20. According to my earnest expectation and my hope that in nothing I shall be ashamed... But that with all boldness, as always, so now also Christ shall be magnified in my body, whether it be by life or by death. So, now, how many of you, your goal today is to be ashamed? No, that's never our goal, to be ashamed. So, what are the practical steps that we're going to take to keep from being ashamed? That is, that whether I live or I die, that I glorify God in this body. So how do I glorify God in this body? There are so many ways, and we could make a list of practical things. How can I glorify God in my body? Well, as a Christian, I can behave myself in a way that brings glory to Him. I glorify God by the way that I eat, right? right? Whether you eat or drink, do all to the glory of God. Is that what the Bible says? Whether therefore you eat or drink, do all to the glory of God. So how I eat, that, that impacts it. How I dress... What am I identifying with in my clothing? Is that bringing glory to God or is that not bringing glory to God? Now, if you noticed, I didn't say what clothing brings glory to God and what clothing doesn't bring glory to God. But how many of you know there's clothing that would not bring glory to God? Right? Just obviously. So you make that decision based on what the Bible says about those things. So I am complete in him and I want to make sure that whether by life or by death, that God is magnified in my body. Remember, magnified means made bigger. God's made greater in the world. Then look at verse 21. For to me, to live is Christ, but to die is gain. Isn't that interesting? You see, the Apostle Paul... So what is the, what is the question that we're answering? Why do I live? Why do I live? That's one of life's ultimate questions. What is my purpose for living? And for the believer to live is Christ. Are you all with me on that? My purpose for living is Jesus Christ. And I used to think, I I preach this where Eric and Aaron have heard me preach this text, I don't know, probably 30 times at funerals. Because I'll, I'll, I'll use this text. Paul said, for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. When I was a kid... I knew that verse, but listen to the way I said it in my mind. To live is Christ and to die is gain. Is that what the verse says? No, it says for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. So if for me to live is money, then to die is not gain. If for me to live is my career, then to die is not gain, it's loss. If for me to live is my family, and I don't direct my family to Jesus Christ, then for me to die is not gain, but for me to die is loss because I will be separated from that family for all eternity. But if for me to live is Christ, then to die is gain. So the idea is why do I live? If in me or if in Jesus Christ dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily and I am complete in him, then I have to recognize that that has to encompass everything I do in my life. Why do I live? I live for Jesus Christ. And I don't know about you guys, but I get so distracted from that. Have you ever found yourself in the middle of your day 
and you realize you need to pray about something and you become aware that you have ignored Christ for that whole day, has that ever happened for you? Then how can you say that you're living for Christ? How can I say that I'm living for Christ? This means it must be volitional. That's an act of the will. We have to consciously acknowledge Christ in every area of our lives and in everything that we're doing. Why do I live? I live because he lives. That's what John 14 says. Because he, Jesus said, because I live, ye shall live also. Now, of course, that shall live also. That's about the resurrection from the dead. Praise God for that. But Jesus also said that when we are in him, that we can have life and have it more abundantly living in him in this present world. Then, question three. So, our first question, why, why do I live? Well, I live because of Christ. Question three. This, this gets tough right here. Does the life that I live match why? I live. So I live because of Christ. He is my creator. I have my life in Christ because he saved me. Let me talk about what that means. What is this life in Christ because he saved me? I mentioned that the Bible, one of the reasons that, that the Bible is demonstrably true is because it's the best predictor of human, the human condition. And what is that human condition? It's depravity, that man is sinful. The Bible says it this way. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. We are all sinners. The Bible says there is none righteous, no, not one. A good way to say it is this. How many of you are surprised when someone makes a mistake? Any of you surprised at that? No. Why? Because we're sinners. Sin is in us. Here, here's the thing that's really, remember, it's really important to remember. We are not sinners because we sin. We sin because we are sinners. That's, that's what we do. Dogs bark because they're dogs. They're not dogs because they bark. No, I have no idea whether that statement's true or not, but it seems true to me. <laughs> I, I don't sin. It's awful when you come up with an analogy that you're not sure whether or not it's true. <laughs> Disregard that last illustration. It's so interesting how clear the Bible is. And in those quiet moments, when we're alone, when we understand who God is and who we are, it's very clear to us that we're sinners. There's never been a civilization discovered on the face of the earth that didn't have some kind of sacrificial system trying to appease a righteous and holy God because they understand their own sinful condition. That's why Jesus Christ became a man. The Bible says, he who knew no sin was, that's Jesus, was made to be sin for us, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. So when we talk about being born again, when we talk about becoming a Christian, when we talk about being saved, what we're saying is that we're all in the same place. We are all sinners who deserve to die and go to hell before a righteous and holy God. But Jesus Christ, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, Jesus Christ, God's Son, loved us so much that he came into the world. He took on flesh and bones. He became a man. He lived a sinless life. And then he, was, he had nails driven in his hands as he was nailed to that cross. And he died to pay for your sin and for my sin. And I'm so glad the story doesn't end there. Do you, know, you see the cross that we have up here? How many of you notice there's nobody on it? He was taken down from that cross. He was put in a grave for three days and three nights. And then he rose from the dead, proving that he was, is, and always will be God. Because he lives, we live also. Because he lives, we live also. Our life is in him. There's only two kinds of people in the world. Not short and tall, not black and white, not rich and poor. There's only two kinds of people in the world. Those who are born again and are going to heaven and those who are not born again and are going to hell. That's it. And no one gets to go to heaven because they're better than somebody else. The only reason any of us get to go to heaven at all is because of the grace of God. What is grace? It's a free gift. All right? Who knows what I'm going to do right now? Alex, come on up and help me. So 
I got this pen. This is a Mont Blanc pen, very nice pen. I'm going to make it a gift to you. What do you have to do to make it yours? In order to keep it, though, you've got to wash my car every week for the next 10 years. He gave it back. Thank you, Alex. You can sit down. Why did he give it back? Because it's not a gift. If you have to work for it, it's not a gift. There are a lot of people who call themselves Christians who they believe in God and they believe in the death, burial, and resurrection, and they believe that. But they also believe that they have to contribute their good works to that in order to get to heaven. The Bible says the wages of sin is death, but... The gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Eternal life is a gift. We earn death because of our sin. We earn that. That's what we get for our works is death. What we, the only way that we can get heaven is to receive the gift of eternal life that Jesus Christ has offered to all of us. The Bible says he tasted death for every man. If you're here today and you've never asked Jesus Christ to be your Savior, you've never asked Him, you've never come to Him in faith and said, Jesus, I can't, I can't save myself. Only you can save me. Please save me. If you've never done that, you are in that lost category. You're in that category of people who are not born again, and that means that when you die, you will go to hell. If you want to have eternal life, and I'm so thankful that salvation is not simply a fire escape from hell. It's much more than that, but it is that. I'm so thankful that Jesus Christ not only wanted to give us eternal life, but he wants to give us abundant and happy and fulfilled life here on this earth right now so that I can know how to live. Why do I live? See, for to me to live is Christ, then to die is gain. But if for me to live is anything else, then to die is not gain, it is loss. And if you've never trusted Jesus Christ alone for your eternal life, you need to do it today. You need to do it today. But for those of us who, who have received Christ, we have asked Jesus Christ to be our Savior. We are born again. The question is, does the life that I live match why I live? Boy, that's a tough one. Do I live every day as a believer? Look at Romans 14. Romans 14, look at verse 7. For none of us liveth to himself, and no man dieth to himself. Was it John Donne, the poet, who said, no man is an island? No man lives to himself. Verse 8, for whether we live, we live unto the Lord. And whether we die, we die unto the Lord. Whether we live, therefore, or die, we are the Lord's. All right, so it's really important that we understand that as a Christian, if I live, I live unto the Lord and I die unto the Lord. That means that when I die, I'm going to go stand before the judgment seat of Christ. That's the context of the passage. I'm going to stand before the judgment seat of Christ. I die unto the Lord. If you're not saved, if, if you have not asked Jesus Christ to save you, you also die unto the Lord. What's going to happen to you is you're going to stand before the great white throne judgment and there's only one verdict at the great white throne judgment and that is the lake of fire. So you have two choices. You can fulfill the, the purpose for which you were created and that's to bring glory to God by worship or you can fulfill the purpose for which you were created and bring glory to God through your judgment because God is righteous in his salvation and he is also righteous in his judgment. You don't live to yourself. You live unto the Lord. All of us do. Why do I live? Does the life that I live match why I live? Look at verse 9. For to this end Christ both died and rose and revived, that he might be Lord both of the dead and living. Jesus Christ is the Lord. So this is a great question for all of us. Why do I live? And so, uh, how many of you, you know that you're saved? You know that Jesus Christ is your Savior. Does your life match that? Remember what it says in 1 John, you say you believe in him, then walk even as he walked. Does my daily walk match that? And I don't know about you guys, but I get so distracted from that. 
you know, my, you guys know that I'm an impatient person and working in the, on this church building and doing all of those things. It's so easy to get in the flesh. And imagine this. Imagine if the way that I behaved to a contractor, a subcontractor here on the building, caused that person to say, well, if that's Christianity, then I never want it. Do you see how our daily walk, our daily walk influences other people's eternity? That means everything I do, everything I say, everything I eat, everything I drink, it must magnify God in a way that makes him big before those people. So they're confronted with the reality of their eternity. Not only by my message, but by my life. Now, don't just make it your life alone if you never give them the message. The Bible says, how can they hear without a preacher? How can they, how can they believe? How can they, look at it, Romans 10. Verse 13, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. How then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? Or how shall they hear without a preacher? You see, that's us. They need us to live it, but they also need us to say it. Let's look go on. See, I have both a reason for living and a way of living. I have both a reason for living and a way of living. The reason for living is Jesus and the way of living is the word of God. So number four. My reason for living, Jesus, how many of you, Jesus, is your reason for living? Let me ask you that again. How many of you, your reason for living is Jesus Christ? Amen. Amen. So my reason for living, Jesus, provides my purpose for living. See, it's one thing for me to tell Laura she's important to me and that she's my everything. As a matter of fact, I think my Valentine card said something like that. Okay, it's one thing for me to give her a card that says you are my everything and then never talk to her. How many of you think she'd rather me talk to her than get the card? Jesus Christ wants us to talk to him. He created us to be in, he created us to be in communion and in fellowship with him. So my reason for living, Jesus provides my purpose for living. My purpose is to live unto the Lord. So whether I eat or drink, I do all for the glory of God. I got I understand how hard life is. You teachers, you're going to get before 28 monsters tomorrow morning. And the, the law says you can't kill them. Some of you parents, you need to be thankful the law says they can't kill your kids. Some of you are going to walk into the factory tomorrow and you've got the biggest jerk in the world that you have to work next to the whole day. The most useless, the most obnoxious, and they smell bad. And I've got to magnify Christ when I really want him to die. I get it. I understand life is hard. And it's real good to come into the church and have the preacher stand up there in his nice suit with his fancy pen and say, you need to live for Christ when I get to go back in my office all week and just study and do whatever it is the preachers do. Man, I can't wait until I can get back in my office and do what preachers do. And there is some fairness to that. You guys have situations in your lives that I just don't have to live. I don't have to live that way. But Christ knew that. God knew that. That's why we have to have a genuine purpose for living. Your purpose for living is not your retirement. Your purpose for living is the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, if you're wise, God wants you to plan for your retirement. That is living for Christ. That is living for Christ. Right? No one else's responsibility is to care for you. It's your responsibility to care for you. God gave you the abilities, give me the job, give me the finances, care for yourself. That's biblical. 
Here's the way that Paul wrote it. If a man would not work, neither should he eat. That's pretty plain, right? People who have genuine need, that's when the church steps in and helps them. And we're happy to do that. We do that joyfully. We do it in love. And yet even that has to be done unto the Lord. Every bit of it. My purpose is to live unto the Lord. All right? Let's look at this. Everything I do, why? Because he's worthy. I I love this verse of scripture. Give unto the Lord the glory due his name. Do you remember this from last week, our theology? Give unto the Lord the glory due unto his name. Worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness. Worship is not only what we do here. Worship is everything that we do. It's everything that we do. Everything. And he's worthy. He's worthy. Go back to Romans 14. I want you to see this. So we read this just a minute ago. Look at verse 8. For whether we live, we live unto the Lord. And whether we die, we die unto the Lord. Whether we live, therefore, or die, we are the Lord's. All right, but look at verse 11. This is pretty interesting. Look at verse 11. It's in the, I've got it on the slide, but it's also in your Bible. For it is written, As I live, saith the Lord, every knee shall bow to me, and every tongue shall confess to God. Now remember, Jesus said, Because I live, you live also. Is that what the Bible said? You shall live also. Right? But because he lives, every knee is going to bow. Now, here's the, here's the beauty of this. We can bow willingly today with our entire life. Or ultimately, we're going to bow before him. We're going to. And here's, here's the, the, the thinking has gotten so messed up in the world. Well, does that make God a despot that he's going to require people to bow before him? Well, the requirement isn't there. It's what's going to happen. Remember, Worship is the involuntary response to greatness. Every time someone sees God and they're allowed to live, what do they do? They fall flat on their face before God. Remember, the enemies of God always fall backward. Always. Tell that to your charismatic friends. The enemies of God always fall backwards in the Bible. Remember, they came to arrest Jesus Christ. He said, "Uh, are you Jesus? And he said, I am. And The whole army fell backwards just from the words. Anytime, anytime God reveals himself to someone, they fall before him in worship. Every time. See, that's not something God is making them do. That's something they can't help but do. That's how we're supposed to live our lives. Every knee is going to bow. So again, my purpose is to live unto the Lord. So remember from last week's sermon, Why Theology, we said this. We cannot hold to unbiblical opinions of God and genuinely worship him at the same time. Is that right? We can't hold to unbiblical opinions of God and genuinely worship him at the same time. So if I believe that Jesus is something that he is not, and that's the Jesus I'm worshiping, then I'm not worshiping the one true God. Amen? So here, let me be very clear. If I worship a God that does not judge sin, I am not worshiping the God of the Bible. Because sin is an affront to a righteous and a holy God. All right? So that I, I, my, what I believe about God affects my worship. If that's the case, we cannot hold unbiblical opinions of God and know how to live. You know, there are people who believe that God doesn't care how you live. You, you know, that there are people who believe that. He doesn't care. I can do anything I want. No, you can't. We live unto the Lord. So what does that mean? So again, my purpose is to live unto the Lord. I find that purpose in building others. You see, Jesus Christ came into the world to save the lost, but he also came to prepare people to win other people to him and to build them up. We're going to see that here in the scriptures. Look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 3. Are you all with me? 1 Thessalonians chapter 3. And look at verse 3. Might as well start in verse 1. Wherefore, 1 Thessalonians 3, verse 1. Wherefore, when we could no longer forbear, we thought it good to be left at Athens alone and sent Timotheus, that's Timothy, our brother and minister of God and our fellow laborer in the gospel of Christ. So Paul, he cared so much about the church at Thessalonica, he stayed at Athens and he sent Timothy to go to Thessalonica to see about the people. 
And look at what it says in the middle of verse 3. To establish you, do you see that? To establish you and to comfort you concerning your faith. That no man should be moved by these afflictions. What afflictions? The afflictions that, that Paul was going through. For yourselves know that we are appointed thereunto. For verily or, or truthfully, when we were with you, we told you before that we should suffer tribulation and it, as, even as it came to pass. And you know. So I, he said in this, I told you this was going to happen. Look at verse 5. For this cause, when I could no longer forbear... I sent to know your faith, lest by some means the tempter have tempted you, and our labor be in vain. But now when Timotheus came from you unto us, and brought us good tidings of your faith and charity, and that ye have good remembrance of us always, desiring greatly to see us as we also to see you. Look at verse 7. Therefore, brethren, we were comforted over you, in all our affliction and distress by your faith. For now we live if ye stand fast in the Lord. Here, so important. For me to live is Christ, right? It's for me to live in Christ. But that life is meaningless if you're not living for him. For me as your pastor... My life is wasted if you walk away from the Lord. If you walk away from the Lord. If you walk away from the Lord. If you go into false doctrine. If you choose to live like the world. You see, my life in Christ is supposed to produce others whose life is in Christ. That means that my purpose has a point to it. And that purpose is to see other people established in the faith, not tempted, not gone back to the world because of the tempter. My job is to invest in you in such a way that you live for him. And your job in living for him is to invest in someone else so that they live. See, remember that whole solipsistic thing, that whole concept that the self is everything? Christianity is just the opposite of that. I die to self for you. You see, I can say I'm living for Christ. I can say that. But if I am not also living for you, I'm a liar. You see, I live my life in Christ out through the building up of others in the faith. That's the job of the believer. We can't just stay quiet. We can't just have our own private faith and live for the Lord Jesus Christ. We have to live that faith out openly among the world, even when it's not popular, even when it's not fun, even when it costs us something, even when those we invest in walk away from the Lord. If we are truly living for him, then we are investing in others. And I live, look at what it says. Verse 8, for now we live if... Ye stand fast in the Lord. Now, let me be very clear. My eternal salvation is not based on whether or not you live for the Lord. But the life that I live in Christ can only be real if it's having an effect on someone else. That's the only way that it can be real. A faithful life that pleases God is predicated upon what I believe about him. So we know who God is, we know that God's the creator. And I know that God created you for a purpose. He created you for a purpose. He created you for a purpose. My job is to help you find that purpose through the Word of God. I find that purpose. So, if our theology is flawed, our approach to pleasing God will be flawed, and our faithfulness will be hindered. If I don't know who God is, the way that I do ministry won't be biblical. For example, I remember when I was in high school that a group went to the beach to do, you know, during spring break to do ministry. And so all the guys were in swimsuits, girls are in bikinis to go and do ministry. Well, when I understand that whatever I do, whatever I eat or drink, whatever I wear, how many of you think that getting naked is the way to do ministry? How many of you would agree that's probably not the best way to do ministry? Right? 
It's very interesting. So what I believe about God and his righteousness and holiness, that will affect the way that I do ministry. And I can't properly build people up if I don't know who God is and don't do his work, his work properly. All right. So the purpose that guides us is rooted in scripture. So uh, to live is Christ, to die is gain. Because I live, ye shall live also. Uh, and we live if ye stand fast in him. That, that's the foundation of scripture. My theology about who God is, the fact that he's coming again, the fact that he established a church, the fact that he gave ordinances to the church, baptism and the Lord's Supper, the fact that God has established his, his method of ministry that guides what I do. So the purpose that guides us is rooted in scripture. This is from last week. Shallow preaching has left most of today's Christians frighteningly vulnerable to a host of heresies. Isn't that true? It's, it's just so true. So back at 1 Thessalonians, look at chapter 3. Remember verse 5? We read it a minute ago. For this cause, when I could no longer forbear, I sent to know your faith, lest by some means the tempter have tempted you, and our labor be in vain. See, the job of the preacher, the job of the disciple, or the job of the Sunday school teacher, the job of the godly friend, the job of the Awana worker and Awana leader and Awana director, the job of every person and every ministry is to help build people up to spiritual maturity so that they are not drawn away by the tempter. See, we're a fact-based, a truth-based faith. What we need is a church. We need theological preaching so we know who God is. We need doctrinal teaching so we know what the Bible says about certain topics. We need God-obsessed worship that shapes the thinking and living of the saints. God-obsessed worship. And then we need a purpose. That's to live unto the Lord. And then I find that purpose in the building of others. What do we call that? Discipleship. Discipleship. I build others on the solid foundation of a theology that is rooted in the Word of God. We're not going to quote Jim Alter here. We're going to quote Jesus Christ. We're going to quote the Apostle Paul. We're going to quote the Scriptures. So this is so good. Charles Spurgeon, you know, is one of my favorite preachers. He has a book, a devotional book called Morning and Evening. And so for that passage, for to me to live as Christ and to die as gain... He had a devotional entry, and I'm going to finish up with this. So we're just going to read this. I'm not going to make comments. I just want you to read this with me. Here's what Paul said about living for Christ and making Christ your life. He said, Paul's words mean more than most men think. They imply that the aim and end of his life was Christ. So the aim and end. Nay, his life itself was Jesus. In the words of an ancient saint, he did eat and drink and sleep eternal life. Jesus was his very breath, the soul of his soul, the heart of his heart, the life of his life. Can you say as a professing Christian that you live up to this idea? Can you honestly say that for you to live is Christ? Your business, are you doing it for Christ? Is it not done for self-aggrandizement and for family advantage? Do you ask, is that a mean reason, a, a foundational, basic reason? For the Christian, it is. He professes to live for Christ. How can he live for another object without committing a spiritual adultery? Many there are who carry out this principle in some measure. But who is there that dare say that he hath lived wholly for Christ as the apostle did. Yet, this alone is the true life of a Christian. Its source, its sustenance, its fashion, its end, all gathered up in one word, Christ Jesus. Lord, accept me. I here present myself, praying to live only in Thee and to Thee. Isn't that a good prayer for all of us? Let's read that out loud together. You ready? Lord, accept me. I here present myself praying to live only in thee and to thee. Wow. This last statement from Spurgeon is amazing. Let me be as the bullock which stands between the plow and the altar to work or to be sacrificed. 
And let my motto be, ready for either. Lord, I'm here ready to work. Or Lord, I'm here ready to die. Because for to me, to live is Christ. And to die is gain. The world is not getting better. The world is getting worse. To live for Christ may mean that we have to die. But if we can't make the small sacrifices before, then we won't make that ultimate sacrifice when the time comes. Let's just say this. I'm ready for either. Let's all stand together. Why do I live? Let me ask you this question today. Are you ready for either? Are you ready to be the servant? Or are you ready to be the sacrifice? Are you willing to live for him? Are you willing to go to school for him? Are you willing to, to, to eat for him and to dress for him and to speak for him? Are you ready to die to self for him? That's our life. It's not a, this isn't a game. This isn't a club. This is, this is a local New Testament church, and I'm so glad we get to come, and I love seeing everybody. And that is part of it, amen? And yet, we all have something to do because there is a world out there to where if the Bible is true, there's a world out there that is dying and going to hell. We can't save the whole world, but we can reach one. We can reach somebody, but that only happens as we do what we are supposed to do. We're going to have our grand opening. We're going to invite a lot of people. What are we inviting them to? Who are we? Who are we inviting them to join? If you're here and you're not saved, you've never asked Jesus Christ to save you, do it today. Do it today. Your good works can't save you. Your baptism can't save you. Your church membership can't save you. The only thing that can save you is the blood of Jesus Christ. And he already shed it for you. Just believe in him. And those of us who believe, let's make today a turning point. Let's say, I'm going to live for Christ. I love that statement. Ready for either. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, thank you for the opportunity to preach your word.